Okay, today we're going to continue looking at a, an issue facing the church today. And I, I think this is huge even in my own life, so I, I find this quite convicting. I, I need to have my toes kind of uh, stepped on a little bit. I need to be encouraged in this way. I, uh, I don't want to flatten your toes too much, but I do want to encourage you with, with this uh, prayer. This is what I want to encourage you with today. Talking with God, communing with God. So I, I don't remember who it was, but someone in our congregation said this is something that, that needs to be taught on. So we're going to look at the issue of prayer. But before I do that, I, w- I was thinking, uh, what do you know about uh, the Queen's Guard and uh, another aspect of that being lifeguard? The Queen's Guard and lifeguard. Well, I was doing a little bit of study on this. And here's what I learned, that the Queen's Guard and, and life. Guard are various names given to contingents of the infantry and cavalry soldiers that are charged with the official royal, uh, they, they guard the official royal residence there in the United Kingdom. Uh, some people might think they're just a purely ceremonial thing. In fact, uh, uh, tourist, <laughs> I'm curious, any of you been a tourist and you go up and you stand next to the, to the guy wearing the funny hats? You know, I had a picture to show you. Unfortunately, it, you can't see it. But you got, you know, the guy with the, the black furry hat. You know, it's a very tall-looking, funny hat, and he's standing there, supposed to be guard. A lot of tourists go and stand next to him, and and the guy stands there, really straight-faced, doesn't smile, doesn't kind of like look, hardly look at the camera. But tourists go and get photos with these guys all the time. That's one of the guys I'm referring to. Okay, that's that's part of the Queen's guard, and some people think that. Uh, they're just kind of a ceremonial thing. Well, actually, what I learned is they are operational duty soldiers, and they're actually armed. They actually have functioning firearms that are loaded with live ammunition. Well, maybe not the guys you take photos with, but uh, they are responsible for uh, protecting the royal palaces. And so the Queen's lifeguard is a little different. They're actually the, the mounted soldiers or the mounted guard, and they, they're at the entrance to what's called horse guards. And horse guards is the official main entrance of, of the two palaces, St. James as well as Buckingham Palace. And the guard is on, is on horseback from 10 a.m. in the morning to 4 p.m. And then they, they have two sentries that end up changing uh, every hour, and, and then from 4 p.m. until 8 p.m., they have a pair of dismounted sentries that will stand there at the gates. And then at 8 p.m., the gates of the horse guard is, is, is actually locked. And then they have a single sentry that remains there until 7 a.m., so all through the night. feel sorry for that guy, don't you? But uh, And then uh, when the queen is actually in London, of course, she's not always there, but when she is, the guard consist of about 16 troops and as i was studying this is i was thinking of what kind of an access do does does anybody have have an unlimited access to the queen and of course the answer is no (laughs) there's a reason for all of the guard queen doesn't want unlimited access just like you and me we we like our at least to have some privacy, some private space. But we have a God in heaven for, for believers. 
where we can have intimate access to the holy God of the universe. Of course, nobody deserves this immense privilege that's been given to us. But yet, that's precisely what we have been been given. We are able to go to God in prayer. We're able to talk with God. And by the way, not just any access, but it's an unlimited divine resource that's freely available. You don't have to pay for this. <laughs> it's freely available from our loving Heavenly Father. And so in this message, what I want to do is, I'll just tell you up front what I want to do. I, I, I want to encourage you. I, I want us to think about prayer, talking with God. We're going to encounter what it means to actually enter into the presence of the infinitely awesome and majestic God. But at the same time, we feel welcome. At least we should feel welcome. Because God actually longs for us to talk with Him. He longs for us to talk with Him. And that's the essence of prayer. So I've got a series of questions I'll ask, and we'll look at the text of Scripture to find out what the answer is. First of all, I've got to ask this question. Why pray? Why pray? Why talk with God? Well, some people think prayer is a waste of time and energy. Because they, they, some people think that God's will cannot fail to be accomplished no matter what we do. It doesn't matter if we talk with God and, and pray about it. It doesn't matter because God's just going to do it. He wants to do anyway. Kind of a fatalistic way of looking at things. So since God is in control of everything, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I, if I pray and request something. Well, my friend, God has ordained the means as well as the end. God has, has ordained that you and I pray. And yes, God has, of course, ordained the end results. But he cares that we pray and talk to him about it. It is his design that the prayers of his people should be the means by which he is frequently moved to act. And to answer this question, why pray, there's at least four reasons why you and I ought to pray. And these all come from the Bible. Number one, so if you're taking notes, here's four reasons why you ought to pray. Number one, because prayer is commanded. Prayer is commanded. The Holy Spirit commands us to be praying. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I had these scriptures on PowerPoint, which I can't show you. So uh, we don't have time for to be flipping through scriptures, unfortunately. But here's the first one. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, similar concept. Pray without ceasing. Those are commands. God commands us to pray without ceasing. So if we're not praying, then what are we doing? We're sinning. We're not obeying his commands. A second reason why you ought to pray is that prayer gives glory to God. See, God doesn't answer our prayers for our benefit only. Yes, they are often very helpful for us, aren't they? But he answers prayer primarily for his own pleasure and glory. So I want to listen to what Jesus promised 
John chapter 14, verse 14, he said, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice the prepositional phrase there. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that's an amazing promise. And that amazing promise had a reason. If you look in the previous verse, Jesus said, verse 13, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the purpose for God answering the prayer there, verse 14, is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So God answers prayers, according to that verse, so that He will be glorified. Number three, a third reason why you ought to pray is that prayer aligns us with God's purposes. I'll give you an illustration before we look at a scripture. I heard about a little boy. I don't know if this is true or not, but anyway. A little boy knelt beside his bed one night and he he prayed, God bless mommy, God bless daddy. And then he yelled, And God, I want a new bike! And his mother said, You know, son, God is not deaf. He replied, I know, but Grandma is in the next room, and she's hard of hearing. (laughs) The point of that little kind of humorous story is that his idea is that if if God didn't answer his prayer, maybe Grandma would. Because Grandma's hard of hearing, I'm just going to yell really loud so she can hear me. Right, so it's kind of funny, but uh, <clears throat> we don't like to admit it. But a lot of our prayers are like that little boy's prayer. We we pray with this idea that we can somehow pull God into line with our plans, but that's not the goal of prayer, is it? And so when you begin to seek God's purposes in your prayers, your heart is then going to be aligned with God's will. And that is uh, when you, you really begin to see your prayers fulfilled when your purposes and God's purposes align. Here's the way Jesus put it in his model prayer. You're familiar with the, that in Matthew chapter 6, verse, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, pray like this. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you notice, do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's not saying necessarily repeat those words, you know, verbatim, word for word. The point is, notice how how our purposes, our prayer is to be aligned with God's purposes. And so it's only after that priority did Jesus go on to teach us about praying for our daily bread? Then he, he goes on in the model prayer to teach us to, to pray for forgiveness of sin, guidance, and, and power over temptation. So Jesus' model prayer teaches us first that we're to get in harmony with God's purposes. And, and then once you understand that, then you're not going to treat God as if he's some kind of genie in a bottle. You, you know that maybe um, maybe you haven't read the story 
of uh, the genie in the bottle, Aladdin, or anything like that. You know, but there's this there's this story about someone finding a bottle and they rub the bottle and this genie comes out and the genie offers three wishes. Well, I mean that might sound nice, but some people kind of treat God like the genie in the bottle, and God's somehow offering these these wishes and he somehow God has to answer your wishes well in case you don't understand this my friends God is not a genie in a bottle (laughs) God doesn't have to answer our wishes well let me give you a fourth reason why you ought to pray because prayer results in answers it is effective in bringing about God's plan in fact I hope you're familiar with James 5, verse 16. It says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does. It accomplishes much. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So God, who ordained the ends, nonetheless commands us to employ this means. He's chosen the means, which is prayer or talking with Him. And so those are four reasons why you and I ought to pray. Well, then the kind of the next logical question that I'm thinking of is this. Well, then how should we pray? Okay, I see why we should pray, but then how do we do this? How should we pray? Well, there are some people who think there's these set formulas, like magical incantations. <laughs> you know, if you, and if you just do this, then, then God has to do what you say. Well, The Bible doesn't give us set formulas for prayer. There's no magical incantations. There are certain conditions for answered prayer. But remember, these are not rigid formulas. What we see in the Bible are just guidelines. They're principles for prayer. Okay? So let let me just talk about some of these, all right? How should we pray? Number one, when you pray, ask in Christ's name. Ask in Christ's name. Now, there's a condition that jesus actually puts on prayer in john 14 verse 13 he said whatever you ask in my name that i will do so notice the condition jesus says whatever you ask in my name that will i do so asking in his name is important and there's many well be well-meaning sorry believers they think that Uh, They've met that condition if they just kind of, at the end of their prayer with God, they just say, in Jesus' name, right? We we often say that. We we do our long prayer, whatever that is, and then we end it by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And and they think that's all they need to do, and and for them, it's kind of, it's almost like a magical incantation. Some people, it's like a formula. In Christ's name is not a verbal, a verbal formula. It actually means something. <laughs> it actually means something. So to understand the meaning of praying in Jesus' name, you need to understand how the word name is actually used in the Bible. See, in Scripture, the name of God embodies all that He is. God has a lot of names in the Bible, and they actually mean something. God's trying to communicate something about his person, his, his very character. It means God's name stands for all that he is. 
So when Christ commands us here to pray in his name, he wants us to pray consistently then with who he is, with, with his person, his will, with his purposes. And if you're praying for, I'll, well, I'll give you an example. Well, this is one that came to my mind. It's a silly one, I know. Because uh, I, I, like, I like, there's a certain kind of a car, a sports car called a Lamborghini. Very expensive sports car. I will, prob- I will never own one, okay? Even if someone gave me one, I still wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it. But, uh, but they look nice, don't they? They're beautiful. But, but let's, let's use a silly example, all right? Let's say if you're praying for a new car, a Lamborghini, or whatever, you, you just, if you don't like Lamborghinis, you fill in the blank for whatever you like. Let's say you're praying for this just because you're tired of your car. You know, there's something that irritates you about your car. You want a new car. And, and you're going to have a difficult time convincing God if your motive is to somehow, uh, you know, you're just doing this for your own purposes. You're going to have you're going to have a difficult time convincing God that your motive is somehow for His will. You want to fulfill God's will in your life. You want God's glory in this process. Don't get in the habit of just kind of adding in Jesus' name to the end of your prayers with no thought for the reason why you're doing that. You've got to make sure we understand what we're saying. We need to realize to whom we're praying and why we're praying. We're coming to the Lord of the universe, the creator of the universe. Number two. How should you pray? Ask in faith. Ask in faith. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 21, verse 22. He said, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. The condition there is Jesus says, when you pray, do it in faith, trusting, believing that I will answer, that I'm capable of answering. See, all Christians need to approach God trusting that, in his goodness, in his his greatness. He wants to see us trust him when we talk to him. Because if we don't, what are we doing to God? We're actually dishonoring God if we don't actually believe that he can answer the prayer. So ask in faith, number three. Here's the third point. How, How should you pray? Well, ask in the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this. When you pray, do you often find yourself not knowing exactly how to pray for a certain situation? I do a lot of times, okay? I do. I'll, I'll admit it. I do. We don't always know what, what, is, what God's will is or what's the, the best fit for God's plan, if you will. And, and during those times, we simply don't know how to pray, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit prays for us. In Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Maybe you want to look at this one. Romans chapter 8. The Bible talks about what the Holy Spirit does as we pray when we're struggling with the words that we don't know exactly what to pray for. The Holy Spirit helps us. Romans 8. 
Look at verse 26. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I find great encouragement in those two verses. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly praying for you, if you're a believer. We have an intercessor in heaven, of course, that's Jesus Christ, our great high priest. But this verse here is showing us we have an intercessor here on earth who resides within every believer. He prays to the Father on our behalf. Now, if you just meditate upon that, you will be encouraged. It will blow you away. You have, you have an intercessor in heaven, and you have an intercessor within you, if you're a Christian. They're, they're both praying on your behalf. So we need to ask in the Spirit. Number four, how should you pray? Ask from a pure heart. Ask from a pure heart. James 5 16 says this, listen, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, for that fact, avails much. So notice it's, it's the one who is righteous, the one who is living right, who has this, this effective prayer. And so we need to ask from, in other words, from a pure heart. Ask from a pure heart for God to consider our prayers. So what is the righteousness that James refers to here? What what is James talking about? Well, this is a personal and practical righteousness. It's not the justifying righteousness where God declares a sinner to be right with him and have this right position. That's not what he's... He's not talking about salvation there. What James is saying is that if you expect God to answer your prayers, you've got to be committed to living a godly life, one that's right with Him. That's what it's talking about in this context. A third main question we need to consider is this. How often should we pray? How often should we pray? I'm assuming you know many religions... Uh, prescribe certain times for prayer. For example, I assume you know, for example, Muslims have, have various prescribed times of prayer throughout the day. They're, they're summoned to these times throughout the day. I, I think there's five, if I remember correctly. Judaism is another religion that prescribes certain daily hours for prayer. And then there's some Christians who believe that if they somehow attend church services that they have fulfilled their duty with God or if they pray it you know and thank God for their meals then that's enough but may I remind you we already read 1 Thessalonians 5:17 it says pray without ceasing we are to pray without ceasing so prayer in other words the point there is prayer is to be a way of life for a Christian that doesn't mean you, you walk around with your eyes closed and your hands folded you know, throughout the day. That, that's, that's not the point. <laughs> okay? That's not realistic. Don't, please don't even attempt that. 
that can be dangerous. But perhaps the best way to illustrate the idea of ceaseless prayer is to compare it to breathing. Right? Throughout the day, you do this without... Most of us just do it all the time without even thinking, right? You're, you're inhaling. You're exhaling. Breathing out the air. It's, it's a natural thing. It's totally involuntary. In fact, while you're sleeping, you're doing this. You don't even really have to think about it. You're just constantly breathing. In fact, it's actually harder to hold your breath than it is to breathe. And if you don't believe me, try it. Hold your breath. You'll find it to be difficult. And the longer you do it, the the harder it gets, right? But breathing is just involuntary. It's a natural thing for you to do. God made you that way. It should be the same for prayer. It should be true of prayer for, for any Christian. Prayer should just flow naturally and continually from our hearts throughout the day. Ceaselessly just talking with God. So again, please don't walk around with your eyes closed. You probably get hurt if you do that. That's not the point. But we should be in constant communion with God, recognizing that the the channels, if you will, the channels of talking with God, of praying, are always open 24-7. And to see this, I want you to look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about the value of persistent prayer in Luke 11. Jesus is going to use a story to teach us about the value of persistent prayer. So look at Luke 11, verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I will tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, in other words, his persistence, (laughs) he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Jesus is teaching at least two things here about persistent prayer in this particular story. Number one, this story shows the benefits of persistence. See, friendship, these these guys were friends. They, They weren't strangers. But friendship didn't benefit the man who needed the bread. Even though they were friends, he still didn't want to get out of his bed and help his friend. But what ended up helping him was his persistence. The persistence ultimately paid off in the end. A second thing it teaches is that our loving Heavenly Father is more willing to respond to us than a sinful friend. We know this to be true. God wants to answer prayer. He wants to help. If a friend is willing to help as a result of the impudence and persistence, it's moving, the argument's moving from the lesser to the greater. Then the answer is, of course God will do this for you. I want to look at another parable where Jesus is teaching the virtue of persistence in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is, is going to show us that the persistence, the endurance in prayer is a good thing. And he's recommending that we persist. We keep enduring. Don't give up. Look at Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So, well, just stop there for a moment. There's the point of the parable, by the way. So if you're wondering, what is the point of this story? There it is. Jesus wants us to always pray and not lose heart. In other words, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Right? Sometimes God says the answer to prayer is no. Sometimes the answer to prayer is wait. And sometimes God answers prayer with a yes. But don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep praying. So look at the story that teaches this truth. Verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. (laughs) We'll just stop there because you get the point, right? Why did the judge do what the woman wanted? Not because he feared God, but because the woman continually bothered him. She was persistent. You might call her a nag, (laughs) right? That's not suggesting that you be a nag to people. But God's saying, I want you to not lose heart. Don't give up. Be consistent in prayer. If the answer doesn't come immediately, don't give up. Keep praying. God is the opposite, of course, of the unjust judge who's only acting because he's tired of this nagging woman. But God longs to respond to his children here who are persistent in prayer. So our job then is 
Don't give up. Keep praying. I want to finish today by looking at some hindrances of prayer. What are some hindrances that the Bible tells us to prayer? Well, of course, the main hindrance is just a a general presence of sin. The general presence of sin. Because Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So iniquity there, of course, is referring to sin. God says, I'm not going to listen if you're holding sin in your heart. Sin builds a barrier builds a barrier between us and God. So we need to identify some of the specific sins that the Bible talks about. Number one, the first one we need to mention is selfishness. Selfishness is a barrier between us and God. It hinders our prayers. The object of prayer should not be selfishly asking God for things without regard to His honor, His name, We don't want to defy God's purposes. In fact, the Bible says God's not going to give us what we selfishly desire, according to James chapter 4, verse 3, which says this, You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why is God not answering prayer, according to James 4, verse 3? Because essentially we're being selfish. We just, we, we're being selfish. We just want to spend this request on ourselves, on our passions, on our desires. We're asking wrongly. Instead, we need to pray as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 in the, in the model prayer. Jesus says, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we're to pray. So don't pray selfishly, because it will hinder your prayers. Number two, a second hindrance to prayer is an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. This is a tough one, because we're all guilty of this at times. It's, it's, it's difficult to forgive people, isn't it? When we've been hurt, very difficult. It's not a natural thing to forgive people. It's a supernatural work of God. To be able to do that. And so listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said this, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Notice the condition for your sins being forgiven is that you need to be forgiving others. Ooh, do you want your sins forgiven? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But the condition is you have to forgive others. So before God's going to hear your prayers, you need to forgive anyone who has offended you. And we are offended often. That's just the nature of living in this fallen world. We will be offended. And so the great physician offers a prescription for meeting that particular prerequisite in Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew 5, verse 23. Matthew 5, 23. 
Jesus was teaching on prayer. And he gives us the prerequisite. He is the great physician. And he prescribes something here for us. Matthew 5, verse 23. He says, So if you are, are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, by the way, that's your Christian brother, Verse 24, Jesus said, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So this is very important because we cannot truly worship God or expect God to answer our prayers if we're harboring resentment or bitterness in our hearts for someone else. God won't hear our prayers. We can't really worship Him. So we need to make this our objective. That before we ask God to be gracious to us, to do something for us, we need to examine ourselves. Make sure that we are treating others with the same kind of graciousness that we want God to treat us. If we want God's favor, if we want God's forgiveness toward us, we need to make sure that we are forgiving other people, of their trespasses, of their sin against us. Otherwise, it becomes a hindrance to prayer. Number three, the third hindrance to prayer is strife at home. Strife at home. The Bible talks about conflict in family relationships can actually hinder our prayers. The, the one I'm, I'm particularly interested in that Peter talks about is conflict between husbands and wives see in first peter chapter 3 verse 7 it says husbands dwell with them our wives with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered that one hurts That one hurts for me in particular as a husband of one wife. I don't always give honor to my wife. Don't treat her always as a weaker vessel. Don't always recognize that she is an heir together with me of the grace of life. Sorry, my love. I recognize that I fail often in that way. And so what should be the attitude of any Christian husband to guarantee answered prayer? Well, Peter mentions, sorry, three things here. Number one, that the husband should be considerate of his wife's needs and be sensitive to her feelings. If not, then this can be a hindrance to prayer. Number two, the husband ought to demonstrate chivalry in the home. Because it, 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 it talks about the wife being the weaker vessel, or she, in other words, she's physically weaker. We know God made women different. From men. We need to recognize that difference. So husbands should then protect, provide, nourish, cherish their wives. And number three, husbands need to remember that they are the true companions with their wife, because Peter talks about us being heirs together. Heirs together. That just means that married couples then should appreciate their God-given status. In this sense, we're equal. Not, not in function, but in, in this case, in this particular example here, we are equal. 
and we need to recognize that, and we need to treat each other accordingly. Well, there's a fourth hindrance to prayer besides conflict at home. The last one is doubt. Doubt is a hindrance to our prayers. James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice the text says you're to ask in faith with no doubting. So what's the point? What's the point? Well, God requires the right kind of asking when we come to him in prayer. So we're to ask without doubting. In other words, it means our prayers need to be said with a genuine trust in God. That He is who He says He is. That He can do what He claims He can do. Yet some believers doubt God's power. They doubt God's concern for them or or His love. or they, They doubt that God is able to provide in some way or another. And they think that they're undeserving. Some people would say, but, but I've sinned. I, I don't deserve God to answer my prayers. Well, that, that's true. You don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve His answers to prayers. You are unworthy of God's attention. That's true. In one sense, those thoughts are true, but they're also irrelevant because God sovereignly chooses to take great interest in His children. He said so. In fact, Peter put it this way, cast your care upon God because he cares for you. Well, let me summarize it this way. Just thinking about these various hindrances here. So we've seen selfishness is a hindrance, unforgiveness, domestic strife, and doubt. These are hindrances to prayer. But my friend, we, we might be guilty of all those things. The good news is, fortunately, you can deal with all of those at the same time if you recognize what the Bible says in 1 John 1.9. This is beautiful. Listen. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, here's, this is good news, is it not? That if we have done that, if we have confessed our sins, we we believe in a God who is faithful and just to forgive our sins, God's going to do it, and then you know what happens? Then this channel of blessing opens up where we are now able to talk with God. We're able to commune with God. The barriers are removed. 24-7 access, unlimited access Unlike the Queen of England, (laughs) we now have this unlimited access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's beautiful. And we can enjoy talking with God. And we can listen to God talk to us every time we open up to the pages of Scripture. There's this two-way street that should be going on, hopefully. I hope every day of your life. My friend, would you commit... To have no barriers, no hindrances as you talk with God. Deal with those things. Don't let them go on. 
when, when, when God reveals these hindrances, deal with them immediately so you're able to talk to Him. Keep the, the two-way communication open. And love Him with all of your heart, your whole being, your mind, your heart, your strength, all of you. Use that, that, that beautiful resource that God has made available to you. Let's pray.